I am so excited to be sharing with you today's teaching on reproducing for a plentiful harvest. Um, as a, the Lord began to knit this message together in my heart, I often broke into tears. I was overwhelmed with the sheer awe and wonder of both the depth and the intricacies of God's word and his ways and how he gently calls us to allow him to transform our mindsets, to transform our lenses, our beliefs, and also our behaviors. Now, before I begin, I feel like today it's really important that I share a little bit with you about how I process life around me. And the reason being is that I'm hoping that by sharing how I think through things, that you will be able to journey with me through today's teaching. So here we go. First of all, um, in the natural, through my biological father, and in the spiritual, through my heavenly father, I am authentically the daughter of an architect. I have been trained to notice details, structure, and beauty. In fact, design elements stir me, as do the processes of imagination, formation, restoration, and construction. These are my get-tos. So much so that by the time I hit the age of nine, my appetite and also my curiosity for understanding the depths of design had grown to such an extent within me that I wanted nothing more than to become an archaeologist. I want to quote for you one of my favorite authors. His name is Chuck Black from a book of his entitled Kingdom's Dawn, and it reads this. Observation and experience build prediction. For if you study the past, you will know the future. In short, I love both, the old and the new, the past and the future. By the time I hit my mid-30s, after firmly laying down archaeology for quite a while in order to take up what I considered to believe one of my greatest callings, motherhood. The Lord decided to resurrect in me my love for archaeology in a way that I never could have imagined. And it began with a question. On this particular day, the Lord said to me, Tabitha, you know that desire of yours to become an archaeologist? Well, I hadn't thought about that in a very, very long time. So I inquisitively answered, yes, to which then he stated to me, I put that in you because I knew that you would search me out. And right there in that moment, all of my appetite all of my curiosity to understand the depths of the design were instantaneously transformed and reignited in a brand new way. Because you see, the things of the natural 
they speak to things in the spirit. Or as Paul would say it, however, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And after that, then the spiritual. So it's really important to me that we understand that all of our natural desires, all of our natural appetites, all of our natural curiosity open up things for us in the spirit. They bring into our lives the good, the bad, and the ugly. The second thing that I feel is really important to share with you about the lens that I look through life is this. Currently, I am two years into a five-year program at the University of Jerusalem in biblical studies. Currently, I am learning how to read, write, and speak both biblical and modern Hebrew. And I love the way it sounds when it rolls off my tongue. Bereshit bara Elohim et hashemayim vet ha'aretz. In beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The other thing that I am learning is I am gaining an understanding of the depth that this rich dialect communicates numerically, pictorially, and phonetically. Along with it, is this Hebraic approach to understanding the scriptures. And let me tell you, it is astounding. It has absolutely transformed for me the way that I read and understand the scriptures. It will never, ever be the same. In fact, this way of understanding the depth of the Hebrew language has opened up for me an archaeological find of epic proportions as I lean in to search out and learn from the greatest of architects. And that brings us to today, Sunday, May 23rd, 2021, a.k.a. Pentecost Sunday. That word Pentecost in the Greek actually means 50. And its purpose is to establish its location in time. Or as the Lord would define it, it's appointed time. You see, it doesn't matter what year it is. Pentecost will always fall 50 days from Easter. Today, we celebrate, as Scott mentioned, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He is the provisionary source of God for all believers. He is prophecy fulfilled. And all of this happened when his people came together in one Accord. Now, here's the thing. Before this monumental event happened, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 2, this particular appointed day was known by some other names. One of its names is the Festival of Harvests. 
Another one, the festival of first fruits. Yet another, the festival of weeks. And in Hebrew, it's called Shavuot. So what is Shavuot, you may say? Well, it is a celebration of two very epic events in the lives of the Hebrew people. The first being that on this day, according to Exodus 19 and 20, the Hebrew people received for the very first time the commandments of the Lord. Also on this day, it represents the legitimate harvesting of the very first crop of wheat in the nation of Israel. But no matter by what name it is known, Shavuot happens exactly 50 days from another appointed day in the Hebrew calendar. And tell me, can you guess what that day is? It is Passover. And Passover celebrates two epic events. The first one being that the spirit of death passed over the lives of the families in Israel because of the blood of the lamb. The second thing that it also commemorates is the fact that on that very same night, the people of Israel exited Egypt and were finally delivered of years, lifetimes of slavery. You see, when we take the Old Testament celebrations of Passover and Shavuot, and we overlay them with the New Testament celebrations of Easter, which reminds us of the death of the firstborn son, the Lamb of God, by whom the spirit of death passes over our own lives, as well as our exodus from captivity and our deliverance from slavery, lifelong slavery to the old sinful nature of man. And then when you consider the New Testament celebration of Pentecost, the weightiness of the indwelling promise of the Holy Spirit to be for us, our helper, our comforter, our teacher, and our guide, he helps us in the way that is right in being, in nature, within us, in God. So when you look at those celebrations and you overlay them, one thing comes into focus. You see, the Old Testament and the New Testament share a symbiotic relationship. 
To quote the late Chuck Misler, he was often found saying this, the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And the New Testament, well, it's in the Old Testament concealed. The two are actually one. Now you may be asking yourself right now, what the heck does any of this have to do with reproducing? Well, if you will just keep in mind, hold on to the things that I have shared thus far, we are going to look at reproduction through the lens of both the Old and the New Testament. So let's begin. First, let's understand the definition of reproducing. I want you to know that it is a verb that quantifies two nouns. The first is that the act of reproducing produces a copy of. The second, said a different way and a little bit more expanded, can be something like this. It is the functioning of reproducing that produces something very similar to something else in a different medium or context. So, when you think about the definition of reproducing, can you see the Old Testament in the new? Do you recognize Passover in Easter? And can you understand Pentecost and Shavuot? You say it is through today's appointed time of both Pentecost and Shavuot that we begin to discover the truth about what should motivate our appetites and our curiosities so that something can be formed in us that is so pure that it provokes us into action through the Holy Spirit and an understanding of the new way, right in being, nature in us through God. It should provoke us into an action of being intentional in reproduction. So how do we get there? Well, we're going to go on a journey that every man, woman, and child who is Jewish has been on in the days leading up to Shavuot. And every Messianic Hebraic Jew in all of their assemblies has been on that same journey leading up to Shavuot. And it is the very place that I believe every Gentile should set up tent. Every Gentile believer, I'm one of them, should camp here in this tiny little book, especially in today's culture, especially in the way our nature is going, especially in the era of the hostility that is attached to COVID. And that tiny little book that we should all camp on 
is the book of Ruth. Now understand that the book of Ruth begins by telling us that this story of Ruth takes place during the time of the judges. Now, if you're like me, as soon as I see judges, I'm like, whoa, okay, what does that mean? Well, fortunate for us, it was written down in Judges 21:25. It describes the culture, and it says this. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. It goes on to tell us that a severe famine came upon the land of Israel and that one man took his family of four out of the land of Bethlehem to the land of Moab. His name, Elimelech. His wife's name, Naomi. He has two sons. The first one is Mahlon and the second, Kilion. It then tells us in the book of Ruth that once they came upon the fields of Moab, they decided to settle there. It goes on to tell us that after settling in the fields of Moab, Elimelech shortly thereafter passes away. What do Mechlon and Kilion do? They quickly go and acquire for themselves Moabite wives. One is called Orpha and the other is called Ruth. And then it tells us that the duration that this particular family of now five was 10 years in the land of Moab and the boys also passed away. Now I could stop right there and I could spend hours unpacking Just that short little part. We could talk about how all the definitions of the names that you find from their places to the people speak of another story, a message behind the story that talks about the redemption that Christ, the Messiah, comes to establish. Or we could talk about numbers. We could talk about the number four and that it means to rule and to reign or the number 10 and how the number 10 prophetically shows up in the Old Testament and New Testament speaking things. One of those thoughts is the 10 virgins, the 10 commandments. We could talk about how Bethlehem is called the house of bread and it was in a famine. I want to propose to you that Bethlehem was in the shape of famine because the people had no king to rule in their hearts to transform their mindsets, to shift their lenses, to change their beliefs and gird their behaviors. But we won't talk about all that. What we're going to do is continue in the story. And here we go. We are told that quickly after the death of her boys, Naomi hears a report that there is bread in Bethlehem. And she decides she's going to pack up and go back home. What happens? Her daughter-in-law's follower, Orban Ruth. And as she's traveling down the road, you see this huge discourse, this monologue, Naomi speaking to her daughter-in-laws from Ruth 1, 8 to 13. And it goes something like this. Hey girls, listen, 
I really appreciate this honor that you're showing to my dead sons by coming with me and your kindness towards myself. But the reality is, babies, listen, you've got to go home back to your mamas. Go find yourself another husband. May the Lord show his kindness to you because of the kindness you're showing to the dead right now by following me. But here's the thing, girls. I'm an old lady, okay? I don't have any more sons to that you could marry. And the reality is that even if I got married tonight and I did get pregnant and that pregnancy resulted in sons, what are you going to do? Wait till they grow up? Oh gosh, no girl. Go home to your mothers. This is a dead horse. That's my paraphrase. What happens? Orpah turns away. But Ruth does something absolutely fantastic, mind-boggling, actually detrimental to her own being because the horse is dead. And she clings to her mother-in-law. And it leads to this very famous response from, from Ruth. And she says this, and this is from the New Living Translation. Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. Your people, man, I'm going to make them my people. And your God, he's going to be my God. It's like getting blood from a stone. To quote the chosen. Okay. What the heck is going on here in these, this short interaction between Naomi and her daughters-in-law? Well, there is a concept, a way of understanding life in Hebrew culture, and it is called Ebam. Okay, that's what that word there is on the screen. And you can see that Ebam is, shows up in portions of scripture. I've only named a few. One in which it is greatly detailed is in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 to 12. But it also shows up in Genesis 11, in Genesis chapter 4, even in Matthew 28. So what is Ebam? Ebam only takes into effect... Once a brother is dead, that brother must also have absolutely no children. And his wife is now to marry one of his brothers or a closest relative. Rabbi David Fulman says this, there is no one more vulnerable than a dead person because they must rely on others to take care of their interests. You see, with Ebum, the first son that is born of this new union in the natural does not belong to the seed bearer, but actually that firstborn son in the spiritual belongs to the dead brother in order that they may perpetuate legacy or an everlasting name. 
The reality is that the act of Ebam in scripture is acquainted to a great kindness that is offered to the dead. It is also evidence of the highest form of brotherly love. And it requires that the seed bearer himself sacrifice his own name. So how do we best describe Ebam? You need to know that it is a verb that quantifies two nouns. The best two words to describe it are go and make. So what happens if you choose not to participate in Ebam? Well, it is the greatest shameful act you could possibly do. Your generations, the, one, the generations of the one who settled into making a name for themselves is cursed. And death ultimately resides. Where do we see this in scripture? We see it with Cain after he kills Abel. And the Lord comes to him and says, where's your brother? And he says, what, am I my brother's keeper? Like, really? I got to take care of his legacy? I don't think so. It appears with Judah and his second son after his first son dies. And he is forced to do this act of Edom, even by Judah and Mary Tamar. And we know how that story goes. He's interested in the physical intimacy, but not in perpetuating a legacy that is not his own. And he spills the seed on the floor and the Lord then kills him. And we see it in the actions of Judas, who like Cain, betrayed his Lord and Savior, his brother, with a kiss. So what, how do we define not Ebam? It's a verb that quantifies two nouns. The two words that best define it, settle and self. Now, I mentioned that it shows up, Ebam, in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 19. And it reads like this. This is Jesus speaking. Who died? Our brother. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, not your name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, creating an everlasting name. It also shows up in John chapter 12, verse 25 where the act of Ebam and the act of not doing Ebam are quantified by Jesus when he says this, those who love their life in this world will lose it. And those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it 
for eternity. This is exactly what Abraham did. Abraham also performed the act of Ebom when you read it in Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11 is profound. It starts off with the Tower of Babel, a place where the nations decided to settle. And they decided to settle in order to make a name for themselves. So they built a tower in making a name for themselves to keep themselves whole, united, create a legacy for self, a monument to self. And right after this story, after the Lord comes down and he says, hey, if they are united on self, man, there's nothing that's going to stop them. We got to shake this thing up because self, self is not what we want to build. Self was not how the world was created. Self is not in our vocabulary, says the Lord. And right after that, we come to the story of Abraham. And it says this, that Abraham and his brother Nahor, after the death of their brother Haran, took wives for themselves, much like Mechlon and Kilion. But the wives they took tell us that Sarai became Abraham's wife and Milcah became Nahor's wife. And then it says that Milka was the sister of Iska, who was the sister of Lot. Now, in Hebraic understanding, Iska and Sarai are the same person. Iska is her name before she transitioned into a bride. We see this modeled in Revelation when our names, the names that only he knows, our intimate lover, is different than the name we occupy today on this earth. And he hands it to us in a white stone. It is a secret that only lovers know. And Abraham and Nahor then begin this act of Ebam to perpetuate the name of Haran. Generations later, through the act of Naomi's selflessness, a Moabite girl, descendant of Haran, a descendant of Lot, whose father was Haran, She runs into the story of Ruth with no chances of creating a legacy for Mechlon. And because there was no chance of creating a legacy for Mechlon, the name of his father, Elimelech, would die off. She goes to the land of Israel in order that perhaps maybe there might be a chance. She runs into Boaz, who recognizes her great kindness 
And that kindness is associated with nobility. And he says to her, may the Lord conceal you under his wing. May he grant his favor upon you. And then, as the story unfolds, it turns out that Boaz himself is a brother of Mechlon and chooses to step into the act of Ebom with Ruth. Their son is then taking the name, not of her husband, but of her father-in-law because Obed, the firstborn son, is placed in the arms of Naomi. And from Obed was born Jesse, and from Jesse, the promise of kings. So, the Lord is asking us a question. Will we today, in today's society, continue to build up for ourselves monuments to build a name for ourselves, monuments of self? He talks about it in the book of Hosea. You are busy building your own house, but you neglect my house, says the Lord. Bring to me those things that are rightfully mine. It is an act of Ebam. When we choose to lay down our own abilities to perpetuate a name for ourselves. And when we choose an act of Ebom, the Lord says to us, as he did to Abraham, get up and come with me. I've got something to show you. Hey, listen, I want you to count those stars. I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm actually going to build your name because you chose to do this great act of kindness for the most vulnerable person, your dead brother who could not tend to his own legacy. I want you to think about the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Although he is alive, praise God, that's what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday, that he is alive again. But he is not here on the earth, flesh and blood. We are his body. We are his hands and feet. We are the ones who have been called to do exactly what he said he was doing, to take up our crosses and lay down our lives in the most selfless, most powerful, overcoming everything. There is no power that can stand against it. Act of love. And in doing so, he protects everything that is near and dear to us. So his question to us today, what are you going to choose? Will you choose life? Or will you choose death? Will you choose life? by laying down your own lives and the monument to self, the desire to name build for you? Or will you choose death? Settle 
in the ways of the world. Don't explore my ways. Settle, be content in your aggravation. Be content in your frustration. It's your right. Be content in your accusation. Be content in your violence towards your brother. I know I'm preaching, I'm sorry. The reality is we are still in the hour of grace and the first celebration of the first crop that comes in from the wheat harvest is quickly followed by another appointed day. And that day that is appointed is called the feast of the ingathering. It is the final harvest of all of the crops that need to be gathered. We have now entered into spring very shortly in the middle of June, we are going to encounter summer. And right after that, in the blink of an eye, faster than we will realize, we will be upon fall's door. And the Lord asks us, what are we going to choose? He wants us to choose this. Ibam. The greatest kindness you can show to your brother by protecting his interests according to the will of the Lord. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, Father God and Holy Spirit, I give you, we give you permission to captivate our attentions, to cultivate both our cravings, our appetites, and our curiosity so that you can fashion and form truth within us so that no matter where we go, what we're saying, what we're doing, what we're not saying and doing, Lord, people know that we belong to you because of our great kindness, the brotherly love that we share, that we honor, that we show. And Lord, by our own might and our strength, we cannot get there. And so we cry out today on the day of promises. Today on the day of your provision. Holy Spirit, come and do your mighty work. Come, be our helper in the new way of right being in our inherited nature in God. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and be our comforter when we trip and fall and forget the truth of who we are in the way of right being in our very nature in God. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher. Create in us an appetite 
and a curiosity to understand the depths of your design for us so that we can fulfill the longing of this whole earth to recognize who we are in you as sons and daughters, siblings to our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. An act in the greatest act of love to perpetuate his name, an everlasting name, laying down our own. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you even now begin, continue, arrest us, drag us along, push us if need be into being led in the way of right being. It's going to be a lot of work. But with your help, we know that we can get there and fully be transformed into the true nature of who we are in Christ. We need you. And we know, we know that nearness comes when we still ourselves, when we open ourselves up to you, when we invite you into all the chambers in our house, when we allow you to remodel the furniture and empty the closets, when we allow you to decorate the walls, the floors, the ceilings, and put bigger windows in so that we are authentic in everything that we do. Would you empower us, Lord? We know that this is your will for us. That is why you sent your son. And so we embrace the truth that this is your desire, that this is your mission to create us into the image of your son and that you are relentless to see this act accomplished. You are faithful and you never leave things undone. Search our hearts, O oh God. Transform our ways, loving Father, and grant us a delight in you. Pray that in Jesus' most magnificent, powerful name by which we are sealed. Amen. Thank you.